Welcome to Raise the Line with Osmosis.org, seeking solutions with leading experts on how to increase healthcare capacity so people can get the care they need during the COVID-19 crisis and beyond. Hi, I'm Shiv Rivlani, and today on Raise the Line, I'm happy to be joined by Frank Scully, who is the co-founder and CEO of BioDigital, which created the first 3D human visualization platform. It's been called the Google Map of the Human Body. This year, more than 150 million people will consume BioDigital's interactive visualizations to explore and understand their health information. So Frank, thanks so much for being with us today. Thanks for having me, Shiv. So the first question for our audience is just tell us a bit more about your background and what led you to starting BioDigital. Uh, yeah, the 30,000 foot view is, um, like many people, I started in pre-med, I was fascinated with, with medicine. I ended up finding that I was, um, I really love to build things. So I ended up doing my graduate work primarily in biomedical engineering. Um, when I completed that work, it was really the inception of the internet boom. So I dove headfirst, worked for a consulting firm into understanding the nuts and bolts of how the internet works, coding, architecting large software systems. Uh, and then the bubble burst and I still had that passion for medicine. So I wanted to find a way to fuse technology. At that same time, I met my now co-founder, John, and who had a passion for visualization. And we saw the emergence of 3D tech, really the profound impact it was having on industries like video games and movies, uh, where it revolutionized those industries in a matter of years. And we knew that the way people understood and learn about the human body really hadn't changed in centuries, and that the same technology could have a similar profound impact. So at that time, we, we started a consulting business we applied 3D tech to visualization of everything from oncology data to drugs, to medical devices, to surgical procedures, to anatomy for, for medical schools, but we were providing one-off solutions. What we found though, in each and every one of those engagements over the course of about nine years was per our thesis, 3D was a more effective way to communicate and learn, but it wasn't being offered in a scalable way. It hadn't transformed the industries like we had, like we had expected, like in video games and movies. So speaking of scale, I mean, super impressive to have reached 150 million people globally this year. Can you talk a bit more about how you've achieved that scale and who your primary consumers are? Who do you actually sell to and, and reach in, in the process of building BioDigital? So it's, it's a horizontal platform. It was architected from the ground up to be a horizontal platform because we truly believe there were all these needs, you know, assorted needs across healthcare to better understand the human body, both anatomy, disease, and treatments. I think in 2018, 2019, and you know, 2020 has been disrupted by COVID, but we were really starting to see that vision come to fruition where it was it's being applied, helping patients understand heart anomalies to training surgeons in third world countries, to helping students better prepare for uh, certification exams and a whole slew of use cases in between. It's highly adaptable, right? There's toolkits that sit on top of this platform that make it highly adaptable. So, you know, a few more real world examples. When COVID hit, we started working with leading virologists and within a couple of weeks, we were able to visualize the virus, the structure of the virus, the symptoms, the potential treatment options, and then disseminate that information because it's all in the cloud very quickly. And now we have it used by people like, you know, Dr. Gupta and uh, Dr. Emanuel on uh, CNN and MSC respectively. We worked with NYU Medical Center to almost overnight virtualize their cadaver specimens when their students got 
booted from the, the lab, right? And now those students have virtual access to all those specimens. Same material has been made available to a hundred other medical schools since then. So I'm just trying to give you a sense of the diversity. We partnered with Google to provide kids that were now trying to learn from home a more engaging way using augmented reality to participate in life science. And then finally, one that's top of mind is, a, is some work we're doing with Apple where they're using the technology as a visualization layer for data that's being collected in their research kit framework. So speaking of NYU, they're a partner of ours as well. And when I met you at TedMed, I had also met uh, Dr. Mark Triola, who leads their very innovative digital education group. And so I'm curious, can you talk a bit more about how COVID has affected demand for the product? You mentioned how med schools have shut down, so you're providing the 3D anatomy for them. What are some other indicators of of demand uh, that have come from the COVID pandemic? Yeah, I mean, there's been a huge uptick in demand, right? I think everyone is aware the world has gone virtual. Our theory from day one was that the world would move to more remote, immersive learning formats. And this is truly accelerated that. From medical schools, like I noted, to uh, organizations that provide lab specimens, like sheep's hearts or pig's hearts, sheep brains, they've now come to us and say, hey, can we, can we virtualize this? Can we use your virtual models to provide the virtual equivalent of what people did in the physical space? And I think that's the general theme that we're seeing across the board. Could be a device company, it could be a drug company. We don't have access to the office. How do we digitize this? How do we emulate what was done in the real world as closely as possible with virtual technologies. Uh, and the big one is, of course, telehealth. Everyone's talking about telehealth right now. Uh, I don't need to go into to how much it's booming, but we're trying to give providers the tools that they need to explain these difficult medical concepts to patients virtually. Right? They can no longer reference the physical model that sat on their desk or the schematic that was behind them in the room anymore. Are, are you guys actually uh, working with any telehealth companies right now, or is that kind of in the works as we speak? There's a number of things in the works. We're the Powered by Model. We've got lots of toolkits, APIs that allow for rapid integration of our tech. So we're looking at that ecosystem, which is pretty diverse right now in terms of the types of application, the type of telehealth platforms that are being deployed, and making sure that our toolkit applies well. So can, can you speak a bit more about um, any research or any studies related to how we can use 3D and learning? Does it actually improve engagement, comprehension, uh, any of that? It does. So two that come to mind, uh, one was a medical school who did an analysis, control group using cadavers, other half using biodigital. And they actually showed that the students using biodigital performed 16% better on their assessments than those that use the cadavers. There was another study done in, in surgical education where they compared interactive 3D uh, using biodigital to understand the cognitive tasks in a procedure compared to more traditional books and illustration. And those students performed 43% better. Expanding on that, when we talk about immersive technology and 3D, there's a lot of buzz around AR and VR these days. We don't necessarily mean AR and VR. Our technology can be consumed in those headsets in that format, but it's not necessary. Uh, access anyway was key to our architecture. So you can now use this immersive format on any mobile device, any web browser. I, I think it's the spatial, understanding the spatial relationships, the interactivity, the engagement are key to improving those learning outcomes. 
So we call this podcast Raise the Line because it's all about how do we increase healthcare capacity. And clearly, you all are doing that through training, both of clinicians and of patients. I'm curious, what, what are some other lessons you think we've learned in the heart of this pandemic about how we can all collectively increase healthcare capacity and raise the line? It's a great question. This pandemic, is, it's highlighted a number of things. I think one being socioeconomic inequalities in access to quality care. And I think good education will really further that, right? Will hopefully bring parity to the way people are treated, not only in the U.S., but globally. Two, on the, you know, if there's a silver lining, I think it's that it highlighted the incredible, meaningful, and courageous work that are being done by our healthcare providers. And maybe that'll be a call to action, incentivize more people to join such a noble profession. And three, I think, you know, we mentioned telehealth earlier, but if you really unpack this movement to telehealth, there's a lot to it. And one of the the main things is that it requires full digitization of healthcare, right? For the last decade or two, we've been working in this hybrid model and hybrid models from an engineering standpoint are highly inefficient. I mean, 89% of hospitals in 2019 still relied on a fax machine. That's gonna accelerate full digitization, which will have a lot of efficiencies, a lot of benefits, um, we'll remove a lot of the administrative overhead and, and related costs. Yeah, those are some great takeaways and couldn't agree more with, with each of them. My last question is, our audience is primarily young trainees and healthcare professionals. Do you have any advice for them as they're finishing up their training or even in many cases, beginning their training? We, we work with a lot of organizations to visualize advancements to enable better learning. And so we, we, we're on the forefront of medical advancements. At least we have insight into it. And I don't think there's a better time to enter healthcare because these are the people that are going to be ushering in these medical advancements, things that the world has never seen before, right? And you, and you look at cancer treatments and gene therapies and precision medicine and robotic surgery. I, I think in 30 years, we're going to look back at the way people were treated in the 20th century as medieval. Now, with those unprecedented advancements and this rapid change of technology, learning is going to become even more important, right? I think I, I saw a stat that in the next two years, we're going to create more health information that was ever created in all of history. So how do you consume that information, have that foundational level of knowledge, but then stay on top of the updates, that lifelong learning week to week, month to month? You're going to have to rely on technology to enable some of that. Super interesting. And it echoes some of what Vinod Kosla has said about kind of the role of clinicians will be changing less about translating medicine, because there are companies like BioDigital that are doing that, but more about applying what you've learned and, and, and the care and empathy parts of, of healthcare. So Frank, thanks so much for being with us today. This was a fascinating discussion. I appreciate you having me. And with that, I'm Shivaglani. Thank you to our audience for checking out today's show. And remember to do your part to flatten the curve and raise the line. We're all in this together. For more information on how you can help raise the line and flatten the curve, go to osmosis.org slash COVID-19. If you like this podcast, please share it on your social channels. You can also subscribe to the series and check out all of our podcasts at osmosis.org slash raise the line podcast. <laughs>